From Rivers Barden Architects, this is Spork in the Road, a podcast featuring conversations with creative individuals about their path, craft, and passions. In this episode, our resident architects Joe Rivers and Kevin Barden visit with David Cedeno, a bartender from Houston, Texas. Um, it's, it's difficult to be a creative person because you're thinking outside the box. So I'm saying embrace it, um, experiment, and this uh, becomes a symbiotic relationship of um, creative minds. Because you don't have to be doing I don't need to learn from a creative bartender. I can learn from a creative architect, you know, just through, through open conversations. Bartender David Cedeno has seen it all during the last two decades in the service industry, from basic mixed drinks to the wine bar craze to craft beer and the more recent mixology trend. Listening to David talk about his profession, it's clear that, to him, crafting cocktails is more of an art form than anything else. Kevin and Joe visit with David about the job of a bartender, the importance of composition, his experiences as a painter, and his message for creative types with a passion. Here's David, followed by a question from Joe. I think that the the, the like, mixology, mm. for lack of a better, actually the craft cocktails. That's the, what, that's what I prefer mm. to call. Um, so what do you do then? I'm a bartender. You're a bartender. I'm a bartender. What does a bartender do? Well, to me, I'm gonna I'm make it very personal. A bartender to me is someone who is making drinks, right? And you could be very creative about that, or you could be just be making, you know, rum and coke or whiskey and coke, right? Um, but at the same time, you entertain people, right? But at the same time, you leave them alone. While at the same time, you probably a bouncer, you know? <laughs> um, you have to be able to control your room. There's this whole array of, of social skills that go into it. And I think we lost that um, during the time of the, the great craft cocktail mixologist uh, renaissance where people were like, I make a great drink and they put it in front of you and then they walk over and they cross their arms and they just wait for the next drink to be made. You're welcome. Yeah, exactly. You're welcome. <laughs> next. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and their interaction just got lost. And, um, and that for the younger bartenders coming in, that became the standard, the highest standard, unfortunately. Because most of the time, whenever I go to a bar and I'm going to drink something, something that I'm already familiar with, something that, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a bourbon on the rocks drinker. Mm-hmm. So great old fashioned is a fantastic thing. But, you know, at the end of it all, give me, you know, have a good whiskey selection and, you know, clean water when you're ice. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm and I'm a happy man, sure. But um, yeah, that's that's it. I think architecture could be argued the same way. I think we're we're all trained to feel like we should be able to do a beautiful sketch, and as a client, you either buy it or walk away. But in reality, I mean, the, the greatest architects are all people who can control the room, who can who know how to work the client, who know how to talk to them and sell their product and. Yeah. Create, yeah, allow them to uh, express that vision. Right. I would think. Yeah, I mean, you have to be, you know, you can't. You can't throw some, just one some thing, chipped but... ice and some, some mm-hmm. Barles and James in a glass or something. 
call it a craft cocktail, but at the same time, you got to be able to, to work the room and solve the room and have that that connection, that interpersonal. Yeah, you know, with with craft cocktails, the thing has been, you know, has gone so far with the you know um, certification and you know nitrogen and all <laughs> those things that not uh, not everyone got to do. Some bars did, some bars didn't. It wasn't that uh, feasible to do, I guess, or it wasn't, you know, it didn't work as easily and as well um, as just simply having fresh ingredients with a good execution. Basically, that's that's the way that my approach, and I think a lot of people's approach in the craft industry that are just embedded in, in the industry doing craft is fresh ingredients, well executed, from then, you can do so many different things. Because mm-hmm. then the next step is just to stay relevant with mm-hmm. the the products. Yeah. So, you know, what modifiers, you know, are out there, being, you know, liqueurs and whatnot, and what is it that you can create with your mm-hmm. bitters, making your own bitters or not, or syrups, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me, actually, of, like, jazz in the in the 1950s, of, like, there was this, there was a bebop. Right, and it was like it was getting faster and faster, and it was getting more and more chord progressions. You know, then it was like different chords every single beat, and it was like ga 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 all this, and there was all these notes that you had to know, and if you wanted to keep up, you had to do all this kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, Miles Davis comes out with Kind of Blue, which is like an amazing album where you need to know like seven notes, and you know most of the recordings are like the first take. And it's just back to like the fresh ingredients and execution. And Davis, I mean, he's all he's all about uh, like economy of notes. So it's like, what note are you playing? And that's the perfect note for that specific time. And it could just be two notes, and it has way more meaning than you know twenty notes at you know a gazillion miles an hour. And it's the quality of that note, right? It's, it's yeah, the perfection of that note, and nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, and I think that that's just creativity. That's just the art of just anything that you do, because you know the the foundation of it all is composition. Yeah, you know what's your composition? Whether you do music or you're painting or you're doing sculpture, whatever it is that you're doing is what are the pieces, right? What what is it that makes it work? Mm-hmm. And I've come to that sort of place to where. You know, in everything that I do, I know that I'm an artist because that's the way I think, that's the way I feel, that's the way, you know, I approach things. And that's it. And so it doesn't matter that I'm doing numbers for a cocktail menu or I'm actually creating the, the, the menu, the, the, the drinks. I'm still approaching it. I'm still an artist in both because I am looking to exploit every bit of it through simplifying it, having a better composition essentially mm-hmm. you know how do I make the costing as simple as possible right it doesn't have to be complicated it can be but sure. it doesn't have to be and in some sometimes you can't avoid it that's fine but same thing with cocktails but my the way I look at it is is that as an artist is how do I strip it down to mm-hmm. like you were you talked about the music the Davis mm-hmm. right and how do you strip it down mm-hmm. to um, the essentials. No, no, this cocktail is great. It has 
17 different ingredients, three different bitters. Yeah. One from Madagascar. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and you can taste about three or four of the yeah, ingredients. Yeah. Like, for real. Like, and then probably like three or four. It's like, mm-hmm. I think that's whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have some water now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll take a box of soda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hold the soda. Yeah. I think Einstein has a, I'm going to blow this too, but Einstein has a quote about like, uh, make everything as, as simple as it needs to be, but not simpler. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about what what is the bare essentials and, and nothing less than, but nothing more either yeah and, and yeah that's time was incredibly creative yeah <laughs> 2004 I took that year off and just the pain I used to I taught oh. myself how to oil paint. Wow, and cool. I took that year off and I lived like a starving artist. I sold most of the paintings that I, wow. that I painted, but at the same time, I was constantly buying ingredient, um, ingredients. Same <laughs> <laughs> thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, products and, and, you know, paint and all that to keep going. And <clears throat> and so it's, it's expensive. It's really expensive. But I, I did it and it was a great experience, but I decided that I... I, it, was, it was pretty clear. It's like either you're starving artist for a long period, for a long time, and eventually you get that break, uh, or you do it for so long that by the time you know you're in your fifties, you're so incredibly good at it that people will pay you to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I'm not willing to take that risk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so well, I got go. back. <laughs> <in industry>. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is I painted a lot. A lot, and huh. it was one of those things where I, you know, take a go to sleep and wake up and have some coffee and paint. Wow! And, you know, go to sleep because I mean that's all that I was doing. What subjects were you painting? Um, female figures, uh-huh. uh, seascapes. Yeah, uh, from Puerto Rico, so there's a lot of that. Um, were you but, traveling to Puerto Rico today, or no, it, was, it was just from memory? Memories. So they're wow. all, I'm uh, originally from New York. Born in New York, raised uh-huh. in Puerto Rico. Uh, cool. Uh, came to Texas uh, for high school. I mean, I'd been here before, but when moved back to Puerto Rico, and then since high school, I've been I've been here. Wow. But one of the things I wanted to say about Puerto Rico is that it's one of those places and cultures that you know you spend just enough time there, you absolutely fall in love with it. You know, you have the beach. You know, you have the mountains. Um, we have hills. Actually, but it's really green when you go to to the middle of the island. You know, it's it's, it's got that foresty green, mm-hmm. um, and so it's. I think it's it's just naturally soothing mm-hmm. to be in a place like that. The, none of it is really representative, um, uh-huh. other than my memories. Yeah. of the island. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing that I learned was composition was more wow. important. It was the color could be beautiful. The uh, the representation could be great. You know, I can do a portrait that is just perfect, which that's not my thing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that again, but, you know, even if I did, because I'd seen, you know, I was going to a lot of art shows, studying art uh, history a lot. And, you know, you come across stuff that people are doing 
and some of it was like, man, that's great, but it's just it's, there's something off about it. Eventually, I learned that it was the composition wasn't right. Right. Mm. You know, I've seen one uh, martini glass. You know, really basic, but the composition was so good that it worked. Wow. Well, I could. I would actually hang that. <laughs> you know, I had that. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes like, no, I would never put that up. Yeah. But then some things that are done so well, I was like, yeah, I would. It's so simple that no, I hate it <laughs> because it, it works so well. But it, but it's then then going into uh, food or, mm-hmm. or drinks, yeah, it's composition is still the same. You know, yeah. your best cocktails are your three ingredient cocktails. Mm. Your daiquiri, your Manhattan, your old fashioned, mm-hmm. um, all of those really basic cocktails. Yeah. You know, when it comes to the ingredients, it's just that again, going back to your knowledge of the whiskey that you're using or the old fashioned. You know, the old fashioned could be is spirit, sugar, and, and bitters. And so I love doing rum old fashioned because it's unexpected. Ooh. Yeah. But then you if you change the bitters and you change the sugar and then the quantities you have something completely different within what you expect yeah, because you know the rye and the bourbon uh, yeah. fashions a lot. I go for the rye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I uh, try the fashion you would, you would love. Interesting. Um, but it's, they're very, very basic. It's just that you're right. It's just like putting that note where it belongs. Yep. You know, and you put the flavors where it belongs. Like it's saying, yeah. It mm-hmm. Again, going back to that year because it's something really strange about not showing up to work for mm. <laughs> <laughs> a full year. Like I, I, I said, okay, it was towards the end of the year, 2003, whenever I decided this, I was like starting January. That's it. No work for me. This is what I'm doing. I have to, because I already had sold some paintings and, and a few things. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to just keep this rolling. The, what ended up, what I ended up learning was that at the beginning, there was a lot of inspiration. Because there were all these ideas that I wanted to put onto the canvas that I that I couldn't because I had to be at work and I had to do this and I had to do that and I had to do all these different things. Suddenly, I'm able to do it. So at the beginning, I'm just rolling with all these ideas. And some were terrible and some were great. And um, eventually, that ran out. And once that ran out, like I had, it was, that was probably the most difficult time because. I have a show in three weeks and I'm supposed to have 10 paintings and right now I have two and I have no inspiration. And so well, how do you, well, how do you deal with that? And what ended up happening, and I, quite frankly, I can't tell you whether it was inadvertently or it was deliberate. It was that I decided to play with certain techniques. Hmm. <clears throat> and so, you know, how do I use a big brush, you know, on this painting mostly and not a brush smaller than uh, an eight flat eight or whatever and so then is whenever I'm trying to put detail into it how do I do it with a big brush right so it it, it became a game sort of or you know a a mastery Hmm. it was and uh, what does detail mean at that scale right exactly yeah so I did that you know and you know I did you know painting that was like two feet by five feet, two and a half feet by five feet with only small brushes. And that took a long time. Yeah. And so, but it was, but visually then I was like, okay, let me, I added a lot of texture to it. Mm -hmm. But that's what I learned that at some point, whenever there's no inspiration, just you need to 
say, yeah, I can make a great old fashioned, but I want to make a better one. Right. Right. And so I can make a good daiquiri, but I want to make a better one. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? You know, mm-hmm. I started to play around with ingredients that you would think don't belong mm-hmm. in either one of those drinks. Mm-hmm. But you, you do it just to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, suddenly it might not be that it, ha- it, it happens exactly that way. But you say, but you, I might come up with a Manhattan <laughs> or, you know, a different drink by exploring this one old fashioned or, you know, this daiquiri or the recipe that, 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 that playing around with those three ingredients. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Inspiration is, you know, it's, it's fickle. Oh yeah. And the thing is, is I guess most of the time we should spend it in, you know, uh, acquiring a mastery of our techniques and skills. Because when inspiration hits, then you're able to execute it a lot better, mm-hmm. a lot quicker. Because I mean, again, it's fickle. Mm-hmm. That inspiration is around for whatever amount of time. I mean, it right. could be an hour, or it could be a year, but it depends on the scale of the project. You know, if it's a five-year project and all you got inspiration is a year, then what do you do the rest of the time? Or a minute. Right. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Creativity, <clears throat> I see it all the time, and uh, I, I don't. Unfortunately, sometimes I see it with, where it's not being explored or um, understood, mm-hmm. and so people are creative, but they're like, "No, bro, I can't do that, and I'm not supposed to do that, and that's not the way you do it," uh-huh. and they stifle themselves mm-hmm. into <clears throat> doing something that's already been done. Mm-hmm. too many times mm-hmm. and in reality their initial ideas when you know when you listen it's like it's a really good idea say, yeah but you can't do that because of this that and the other I'm <laughs> like no just do it <laughs> you know if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't yeah you know you you just, give it a whirl <laughs> yeah exactly and but that that was again going back to that year that I took off that was the beauty of that was that I experimented a lot went through tons of material that, you know, ended up in the trash or, you know, Mm. repurposed. But it was, it was about that. It was, I found that in that search is where you come up with the the best ideas. And sometimes you don't even realize it yourself. Right. There was, uh, do you know, um, do you know this book, The Art of Eating by MFK Fisher? Uh, Yes. It, uh, I don't own it. I haven't read it. But. She, uh, there's, it's a great buzz, like all these different topics that she touches, but one of them is like cooking for yourself and how she learned so much about, about cooking and food and ingredients for cooking for herself because she knew she would never be disappointing anybody. Like she could, the, the amount of like chances that she could take cooking for herself, she had to eat it in the end. But, like, every night it was like, it would be like, oh, I did such and such such with the cauliflower and the blah, 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 and it didn't turn out, and I don't have to, like, serve it to anybody or, you know, ask for this, any, you know, anything like that, but it's just, you know, food for yourself, and she found that she could take all these different chances and learn so much more about food, you know, moving forward. It sounds a lot like, like your painting, you know, of learning to let go Charles Jolly is, is one, one of the global first Americans and one of the global in, in world class. 
He used to do the uh, the beverage. He was the beverage beverage director at Aviary in Chicago, which they do a lot of really forward thinking type stuff. Um, he's, he's like, you know, great thing about this is that people only remember the wins. They really don't remember the losses. Because <laughs> I had a lot of losses. I lost a lot of competitions uh, before I started to win. And I think that that is just a creative person um, approach to improving. And so um, it's, it's difficult to be a creative person because you're thinking outside the box. So I'm saying embrace it, um, experiment, and this uh, becomes a symbiotic relationship of um, creative minds. Because you don't have to be doing, I don't need to learn from a creative bartender, I can learn from a creative architect, you know, just through, through open conversations. Right. Oh, no, thank you. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. an awesome conversation. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I appreciate it too because, as you can probably tell, I mean, I'm really into the creative oh, yeah. mind and creative people, and, you know, that it expresses itself in so many different ways. Yeah. And I, I love it. You guys are architects. I mean, that's like, yeah. that's, that's solid. Right. I mean, that's, that's real. Like, From Rivers Barden Architects, this has been Spork in the Road. For more on David's work, check out his Instagram, at David underscore Daiquiri, or stop in for a chat and a cocktail at Prohibition in Houston, Texas. Special thanks to David Cedeno, interviewers extraordinaire getting better every month, Joe Rivers and Kevin Barden, and to all who have enjoyed the podcast thus far. Produced, edited, written, narrated, and music by Scott Barden. For more, visit riversbarden.com.